0: What's up, Chapel? How's everybody doing this morning? Besides feeling old because all these people you've watched grow up are graduating college. And you're like, man, I'm old. Um, It's great to see just people feeling their purpose in life and journey. Um, And just tons of stuff going on. I wanted to just say two quick things about people that have passed away this week that were very vital to, I think, the church at large and Chapel. One is uh, Pastor Tim Keller. If you don't know who Tim Keller was, he was in New York. I believe he's one of the... Legendary scholars and pastors and theologians of our time. I wrote a book called The Reason for God, which is one of the most incredible books ever written. He passed away this past week, but also one of our very own, Jerry Kelso. So, Jerry and Jimmy Kelso were the very first kids pastors here at Christ Chapel way back in the day. They laid a foundation of this kids ministry and caring here. He's also a basketball coach at Central High School for girls and won state championships. And so I'm gonna go there today to celebrate his life. I want to just really honor them as much as possible. Because it's easy to lose sight over, you know, 40 some odd years, just the people that have made chapel what it is. And those are two of the amazing people that are pillars here. A lot of good stuff going on. If your Bibles turn to Genesis chapter two, I'm gonna to try to take just a short amount of time to kind of tie a knot on graduation Sunday. You know, I remember back now that I graduated in nineteen ninety-nine. Ninety-nine. I've not went back to a graduate, uh, uh, whatever you call it, class reunion, because I don't want to see any of the people I graduated with, to be honest. But I'm like, man, it was 24 years ago, and it's amazing just as you look back on the journey of life. And they got some old pictures. Throw some of those old pictures up of just me. That was my senior prom, 18 years old or 17, then with a head full of hair, my pants actually buttoned. And I was probably full of energy. Throw the next one up, uh, 18 years old, in the Air Force in Arizona. And it's interesting just looking back. It's like, one, how quickly you age. But two, like, what all was laying before me? Like, I had no idea I'd end up in Florence, Alabama, had no idea what God had prepared for me that I'd walk through. Had no idea that, for the wife that He had for me and the four kids that He had for me. Had no idea the places I would go. And at 18, many times at graduation or, or college or high school, you start thinking about all these new opportunities that are ahead of you, this new chapter that's going to be written, the new lands. And you start, some people get anxiety with thinking about what college will I go to? What major will I pick? What career am I going to go into? Who am I going to date? Who am I going to marry? All these things. And it creates this anxiety of how do I choose what God wants for me? How do I walk down the path that God has prepared for me? How do I determine God's will? And, and I think the easiest way to, to discern that is to go back to the beginning, how God laid out a plan for all of humanity, and to see how Adam and Eve kind of chose to walk in one direction or another. So in Genesis chapter 2, Verse 16, it says this. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, that's the very beginning. God creates everything, creates Adam and David. He says, this commandment, this is the very first commandment. What's interesting to me is in church, well, we think that, that God is this God who's always trying to restrict our lives. and that thou shalt not. And thou shalt not do this. But this is a different commandment. The very first commandment of creation is a commandment for freedom. He tells Adam and Eve, you can have all of this entire world, the entire universe, all of creation is yours. You can eat of every tree. You can go to every mountain. You can go to every ocean, every plain. You can take part of everything except for this one little thing. And the reason this one little thing is so important is not because I don't want you to to enjoy life. I don't want you to, to not have freedom. It's because this one tree, out of all the trees in the universe, this one tree, if you partake of it, will actually kill you. And so God gives us great freedom, this great commandment, but he gives this freedom with boundaries. The boundaries are not punishment to Adam and Eve. They're not To curse Adam and Eve, it's to protect Adam and Eve so they can enjoy all the freedom God has just given them. Because this is the principle there is no true freedom without real boundaries. For where your boundaries begin or where your boundaries end is where your bondage will begin. Up until that point, it's all freedom. So he tells them this is your reign. The entire universe is your freedom. But there's this one boundary around this one tree that you cannot partake of because once you do that, you lose your freedom and you begin walking in bondage. And it's it's interesting to me that that's how he sets this up and them to enjoy life and to them to walk out their purpose in freedom. What the beauty of the story is this though, that Adam and Eve, Adam in particular, get to walk through this adventure called life as long as they're walking with God. When Adam is walking with God, he calls him. In, in verse 20, I think it says this, or, yeah, 19 and 20 says, Now out of the garden the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man, talking about Adam, called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds and to the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Like, could you imagine? This is Adam walking with God. And he's getting to experience all of this new creation. He's getting to go to the mountains. He's getting to go to the ocean. He's getting to go to the plains and the forest and the rainforest and see every single, this is the greatest zoo field trip ever on planet Earth. Every animal, and God brings the animals by Adam, and he gets to name them whatever he wants to name them. It's this adventure of exploring this new creation, it's this adventure of exploring this new life, it's this adventure of walking with God and getting to walk in the freedom of everything God ever created. And so, when you walk with God, life is an adventure. When you walk away from God, it becomes a nightmare. And here's Adam in this brand new adventure, and I know this. And when I was young, like I didn't follow God, and I thought life was an adventure, but everything that I thought was an adventure was actually a dead end that became a nightmare. But then when I started walking with, with Jesus, life became an adventure. Even new experiences that I never would have experienced. I mean, I've got to experience Bunyan's barbecue ribs. Monday, Toya and I got to go to Demi and Mo's house. They had their, their little baby. We got to do a Nigerian baby dedication on Zoom with 40-some-odd people from all over the world naming this young gift of God to Demian Mo, And I got to watch Toya try to eat Nigerian food. It was the greatest experience. I've got to experience, uh, yesterday, the elders and I got to go to Cobert Mountain and discover and walk through the property for kids to love, the Shoals Campus, this amazing mountain. That's going to be a miracle for foster kids all over the state of Alabama. New experiences, new adventures, new lands that you may go to UAB or Tennessee or wherever the Lord may take you. It's a new opportunity, a new land. And for me, just thinking through, I went to the Air Force thinking I was to see the world. I got to see Washington, D.C., the worst place to possibly see. But then as I've been following Jesus, I've been to Israel and seen the same steps that Jesus took. I've been to Haiti and seen beautiful oceans and mountains and beautiful people. I've been to Cuba where I've been able to preach in a country that it's not even legal to preach in and see amazing people and and innovation and all these things. And so with God, life becomes this adventure as long as you stay holding hand in hand with him. But as the life begins giving new experiences, new adventures, new lands, it also brings new people. And this story, this adventure of life in Genesis chapter two goes from this amazing freedom to these new adventures to all of a sudden new relationships. As much like when you go away to college, new relationships will come towards you. When you change jobs, new relationships will come towards you. And I'll need you to know this that God will bring people into your life, but so will Satan. And God will bring people in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. But Satan will always bring people in your life to commit treason. And they are coming. They're coming in adults' lives. You change jobs, new people, new relationships. You change colleges, new people, new relationships. You change uh, career paths, new relationships. It, it's always coming. It st- starts with this, Genesis chapter, 20, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 20 and 24. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, even men were sleepy back then, slept one he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God brings Eve into Adam's life, actually brings her out of his life to be a helpmate, to be a partner, to be one with him. He brings her along to go along into the adventure of life forever with Adam. Just as God brought Eve into Adam's life, you skip down to chapter 3, verse 1. But now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So all of a sudden, Adam, who had such a simple life, all he had to do was walk around with God, look at the animals, look at the stars, look at the ocean, enjoy creation, enjoy this freedom. Now, all of a sudden, it's not just Adam and God, it's Adam, God, Eve, and the serpent. I will tell you, just you and God is one thing. You add a woman in, you already complicated. Did you add a serpent in? This is the most complicated beginning ever. And here is Adam trying to discern these relationships. He's trying to discern life, he's trying to discern his freedom. And what happens is, When God brings people into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, if you misidentify what their purpose is in your life or what God brought them into your life for, if you misidentify, you will confuse them up and you'll live in a past season and miss what God is actually trying to do. If you misidentify, you think God brought them into your life, but actually it's a serpent, you will connect yourself or become one with the serpent instead of becoming one with who God brought to you. In the same way, if you think that the enemy brought them into your life, but God brought them into your life, you actually miss out on the blessing God is trying to bring into your new territory, new chapter. And so, what happens is when we're immature, we think everyone is God sent. And you think that everyone is God sent forever, for a lifetime. But as a matter of fact, they may just be for a season, maybe for a reason, maybe for a lifetime. Or maybe it could just happen to be that Satan is trying to disrupt you and get you out of the perfect will of God. And the easiest way to do that is to bring a relationship along that tells you everything you want to hear to get you to go a different direction. And so God will bring people into your life for a reason, to meet a need, to answer your prayers, or to teach you a lesson. God will actually bring people. It's amazing to me. People will pray, oh, God, you know, God, I need this. You realize every single answer to prayer comes through a new relationship. Every single one. When God wants to do something new, he brings in a new relationship. And that relationship carries a purpose. It carries a gifting. It carries some wisdom. It carries a, a lesson. And God will answer your prayer to fulfill a need through a person. That's why this community is so important. I, t- I told a young guy last year, we sat down for coffee. He said, you know, I'm just struggling. I come from church hurt. And, you know, and I love the preaching. I love the worship. But I, I'm, I'm scared to go you know, connect with other people. I'm scared to get hurt. And I said, listen, I, I appreciate the fact you love our worship. I appreciate the fact that you enjoy my preaching, but I'm here to tell you that is the lowest level of the blessings of the church. That the greatest gifts in the church do not come from the platform, they come from the people. The people that carry wisdom and stories. And insight, and spiritual giftings, and relationships, and unconditional love, and mercy, and grace. People that can pray for you, people that can hold on to you, people that can walk with you through the fire. The greatest gifts come through people. And so many times when we need people is when we isolate ourselves from people the most, but God is bringing people into your life for a reason. And many times once the reason is fulfilled, sometimes the relationship shifts And there's new relationships to come. Many times he brings relationships for a season to help you through that season or to prepare you for the next season. He'll bring people in for a season of life to help you navigate that season, help you make it through that season, to walk you through that season, or to prepare you for the next season God has in store for you. There's people in my life that I didn't know why they were there. I didn't know why the relationship was there. But later on, after even the relationship maybe faded away, that the next season of my life validated everything that person came in my life for. But many times once the season is over, the relationship changes. And what happens is if you don't learn how to let go, you will hold on to an old season by holding on to an old relationship. Even Paul and Barnabas, there was a separation that happened. There's a different season. Paul and Barnabas were supposed to separate and go different ways. And there was this argument. We think of arguments as this difficult, you know, conflict is evil type thing. No, God used this conflict to help them separate so they can multiply and go in two different directions. Why? Because the season was over. There's a new season. And in that new season, Paul had Timothy come alongside of him, a new relationship for a new season. Our problem is we don't want to let go. I joked about my class reunion. Uh, Toy and I joke, there's actually a, a Facebook page for my high school, White House High School, Gone But Not Forgotten. And when I when I Toya knows, I would say 25% of my graduating class is dead. Drug abuse, crime, there's many of them in prison. And I've not connected with many of them because once I got out of high school, went to the Air Force, or separation, I would go back and hang out and party with everybody just like that. But once I met Jesus and got my wife, I don't need those old relationships. That was an old season. And the people I see struggling the most are the people that still try to hang out with all their high school friends like they're still in high school. Please put your football jersey up. It doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> and what happens is they relive the same old stories they share the same old memories. They share the same old alcoholic beverages. They share the same old stuff, and they never move into the new season because they're so infatuated with an old season, and they can't let go. On, it's, so, it, it's amazing to me that, especially in the Shoals culture, we'll tell people that high, you got to enjoy high school. It's the greatest years of your life. No one actually believes that junk. <laughs> like anxiety rates are high. People are depressed and they're 30 years old still because some kid bullied them in the bathroom when they were 16. No one actually believes high school is the greatest years of your life. Yes, there's some great moments. But I'm telling you, if high school is the greatest years of your life, it's because you're still living in a past season. Because the greatest season of my life is the season I'm in. And the next greatest season will be the season I'm in next. From the kids being young... To the kids being maybe teenagers, to the kids, now my kids are almost adults, they enjoy, the enjoyment of life and its seasons. God is a God of seasons, and you have to enjoy every season he brings, but you can only enjoy it if you leave the season that's already over. But there's some people, God will bring into your life for a lifetime. God will bring you stability, love, and family that you could never have had biologically. He brings Eve, and he says, I, I, need a, I need a helper that's fit for Adam. And he brings Eve out of him, takes his rib out, closes the wound back up, and creates Eve and says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Basically, this is the first family. Do you realize God doesn't want anybody to be alone? He doesn't want anyone to be isolated. He actually places the solitary into family. God is a family God, and some of us come from families that are messed up. I may be talking to me and toy. Y'all may have the perfect families. Our family reunion is more like a Jerry Springer episode, <laughs> right? So there, there's things just with our values don't align with many of our family members' values. So we've had to create really strong boundaries for our family in order to raise our kids with our values and our influence, rather than my family members' values and influence. And so that's created a separation and isolation. But what God has done is he's brought other people into our lives that are lifetime relationships that have become the family we've never, ever had. And when you get those lifetime relationships, they're there to teach you lessons about unconditional love, conflict management, lifelong commitment enjoying the seasons, growing old with friends, going old with family, going old with church members. It's, it's this lifetime pursuit that changes who you are because you become one together. And just like God will bring people for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, the enemy always has a purpose when he brings people into your life. Always. Always. And his reason is always this, to create treason Between you and your king or your Lord. He purposely comes and he slides in like a snake. And when he slides in like a snake, he starts speaking lies and deceit to get you to question and doubt. Not just God the father, but God the king. To question what he said and to question your purpose and to question what he wants to accomplish in your life. And when he does, the whole purpose is to get you to choose to be your king instead of God being your king. You say, well, what is treason? Treason, the definition is literally the crime of betraying one's country or kingdom, especially by attempting to kill the sovereign or overthrow the government. Satan was literally trying to get Adam and Eve to overthrow God's government. He said, well, he didn't use the word government. Government is rule and authority. God had told them, here's the rules of creation. You can eat of any tree you want and do whatever you want to except for this one tree Why? Because I have authority, and this tree will hurt you. I don't want you to eat of it. And so when he says, well, you know, did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? What he's really trying to get them to do is to overthrow God's government to establish their own government. And by doing so, it would take them out of God's perfect will and now give them responsibility to walk out in their own authority. And I'll tell you this, people, people are like, well, you know, I, I don't like authority. You know, the authority of America and authority of my boss and corporate greed. and all, well, I don't like authority. Let me tell you. Here's all authority means. You carry the responsibility. Whenever you pick up authority, it's not power, it's not control, it's not even influence. All authority is is responsibility. And so when God carried the authority, he carried the responsibility for the freedom that Adam and Eve had. He carried the responsibility for providing for Adam and Eve. He carried the responsibility for taking care of Adam and Eve. He carried the responsibility of protecting Adam and Eve. He carried the responsibility for making sure Adam and Eve were flourishing in this kingdom. But the moment Adam and Eve chose to take up their own authority, guess who's now responsible? Adam and Eve. And I know it's cute in all the, the uh, anarchy language and protest language and all these things. But do you really want the authority? Oh actually, do you really want the authority? Coming from somebody who's in authority, I, I try to find more ways to delegate authority. I'm looking for more ways to submit to other authority, because I feel safer when there's other people that carry responsibility. It is hard to carry the responsibility of a church, of yourself, of your family, of a business, of all these things, even the, and it's really easy to sit on the sidelines and start condemning the authority. And condemning politicians and condemning CEOs and condemning bosses and coaches and, and uh, headmasters of schools and principals. It's really easy. But until you carry the responsibility, you'll never understand authority. And here's Adam and Eve. All of a sudden, service slides up and they're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I will. And see, there's this principle, and God is going to bring people to your life college graduates, high school graduates, but so will Satan. And, and here's Here's how it gets difficult. Satan never comes in like the demon you see on a horror movie. As a matter of fact, it calls him an angel of light and says he's beautiful. And so he's going to look like everything you've ever wanted. He's going to look like everything that brings you pleasure. Is going to look like everything that fulfills your desires. On the opposite spectrum, when angels appeared to any of the disciples or people in the Bible, they weren't like, wow, this angel is beautiful. They were afraid for their lives. You know what that tells me? That angels may not be beautiful, but they're powerful and they're good. Demons may be beautiful, but they're not good and they're evil. And so many times we're so quick to judge by our eyes instead of our spirits. We start following the wrong things. And so there's this command, this pastor in Ghana that I met, he told me this story. It's called the fifth element. Back in, in ancient times, a military, if they're trying to take over another city or village, they would surround that city. And they'd surround that city with four other elements, north, east, south, and west. And they'd surround that city, and what they would try to do is they cut off all supply lines so no food or water could come into the city, but also nobody could get out. And basically they'd stay there and make the city starve to death was the goal. But this one particular battle, they weren't really taking over the city. And a little colonel came up to this general and said, General, like, this isn't working. Like, we, we're not taking over the city. We've been here for months. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. And the general says, whoa, 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 just slow down. He's like, you're forgetting about the fifth element. Well, there's no such thing as a fifth element. The colonel said, sir, there's no such thing as a fifth element. What are you talking about? He said, no, no, we got a fifth element. He said, no, we only have the north, the south, the east. He said, no, we got a fifth element. He said, what do you mean? He said, the fifth element moved into this city three years ago. Before we ever went to war, they moved in, but they were in incognito. They took on jobs. They became teachers at schools. Some became lawyers. Some became politicians. Some became business people. Some became judges. And they just infiltrated into the culture of the city, the culture of the people. And as soon as we make the rally cry, those people that have infiltrated the inside are going to rise up and begin to attack from the inside. I need you to know this. Satan is always a fifth element. He never comes from the north, the south, the east, the west. He always tries to find a way to get inside of you to begin to destroy you from the inside out. And when he does, he's calls in treason, doubt, treason, fear, anxiety, stress to separate you from God so that he can get you on your own and isolate you so he can get you out of the freedom that God has already promised you. And that's what he tells us. He said, Look at this tree. Did God surely not say you can not eat of all these trees? And the voice, the voice that you listen to will determine what you see. The voice you listen to will determine what you see. And what happens, people say, why why are young adults leaving the church? Because they change the voices they're listening to. You grow up and you listen to mama's voice. And mama will tell you, don't touch that, that'll burn you. Don't do that, that'll hurt you. Don't do that. And they give you a perspective because who you listen to determines how you see things. Like me and RJ, on in our, in our discipleship journey that we're on, I'm trying to help them understand my voice is not one to control you. It's to help you see what's in front of you. And if you'll listen to my voice, it'll help you see things correctly. But once you start listening to different voices, they'd heard God's voice. God said, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. But this one tree, just be careful because you'll die. Satan slides in. Now they're not listening to God's voice. Now they're listening to Satan's voice. What did God surely say? It's when you go into the world, maybe it's the news you listen to, that news is determining what you see. The podcast you listen to will determine what you see. Part of the problem with America is people get caught up in podcasters and news that all it is is a spiral of fear. And now all you can see is fear. Oh, did you know that President Trump's not even really a president? He's really an alien in disguise. Did you know? And, and they'll start, what are they doing? All they're doing, the voices they're listening to is determining what they see. Marketing tries to get you to hear something to determine what you see. And everything's determined by what you hear before what you see. That's why it's so important to protect your ears even before your eyes. And so how, how do you know what's going on? They're, they're in this garden. It seems like everything's good everything's good, the universe is good, the animals are good, everything's good. But listen, it may be all good, but it ain't all God. It may be all good, but it ain't all God. In our culture, they'll start saying, well, it's all good. It may not be good for you, but it's good for them. Okay, it may be good, but it ain't all God. It may all look good, it may all feel good, it may all smell good, it may all taste good. It may all be good, but it's not all God. And we're so consumed with goodness, we've lost sight of godliness. And so here they are in the garden, everything's good, but only a few things are God. And they get deceived, not by the evil, but by the good. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not the tree of the knowledge of good or evil. See, I don't know, but when I read this years ago, I thought, you know, the tree had good fruit and bad fruit on it. it had good fruit and evil fruit. And they chose the evil fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No, no, there's only one fruit on the tree. There's only one fruit. Trees can only produce apples or oranges. They can't produce apples and oranges. But the fruit that he's saying, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this fruit contains both good and evil evil. It is bittersweet. It tastes sweet at the beginning, but it's bitter in the end. It contains good, but it also contains bad. And they were deceived, not from the evil, but because it looks so good. See, the opposite of God is not actually evil. The opposite of God is good. So what do you mean, pastor? See, there's lower shelf and there's top shelf. Now, all you partiers know the difference between the lower shelf is the cheap stuff, also known as the quick hangover. The top shelf is the good stuff. They do this in bars. They do this in convenience stores. If you take your kits, we were traveling to Columbus, Ohio a couple weeks ago. Went to the convenience store. I'm getting snacks. The lower shelf has all the penny candies, lemon heads, Red Hots. Also, candy cigarettes. In Kentucky, they still sell candy cigarettes. And you best believe I bought some. You know, it used to be 25 cents. Now it's a dollar for some candy cigarettes, which is still absolutely, it's chalk. It's disgusting. But on the top shelf, they'll have king-size Skittles, king-size extra-large Reese's peanut butter cups. You get all the good stuff. Well, when you're immature and you're small in your faith, you only look at the lower level. You think, well, I just want that. When you, two, you take a two-year-old or a three-year-old in the candy store. They're, oh, I want this. I want this. I want this. And they get that. But if you say, well, if you just trust me and let me pick you up and show you the top shelf you would understand there's something so much better than what you're experiencing right now. But in our lower level, this is good, but this is God. This is a good marriage, but this is a godly marriage. This is a good faith, this is a godly faith. This is a good financial statement, this is a godly financial. When you see the difference, but it takes trusting the Father to lift you up to show you there's something better. And so Adam and Eve... Adam and Eve, once the enemy started speaking and they started over-focusing on just the good, even though the Father promised them all to God. So the entire universe is yours, all of it. And if you just look at all that you have, all the freedom you can experience, all of it is yours, but the enemy comes in, yeah, but look at this bottom shelf. Look at these candy cigarettes. Look at these Red Hots. Look at these Lemon Heads. And they chose the bottom-shelf goodness over the inter- eternal godliness. Like, they chose it. It's amazing to me. Jackie Hill Perry said it this way. He said, we are in a culture where what we, uh, that will make you believe that you have a right to decide what is good. If it is fun, then it must be good. If it is pleasurable, it must be good. If it doesn't harm anybody, then it must be good. She says, what if it harms God? We never asked that question. What if it grieves God's spirit? The problem is the only person in heaven and on earth who has the right and the authority to decide what is good and what isn't good is God. Why? Because he is God and also because he's good. So what that means is it doesn't matter how good the fruit looks on the tree, it doesn't matter how pleasurable it looks doesn't matter how well it looks like it tastes doesn't look, matter how good people tell you that it is doesn't matter what they say is available to you and how sweet the fruit is if God said the fruit isn't good guess what the fruit isn't good it's advertising it's marketing at its finest the enemy always oversells and underdelivers oversells and underdelivers throw up some of those marketing things y'all y'all know how marketing works. That's what they tell you a Big Mac looks like. So you spend $3.99 on a Big Mac, but this is what you get. Throw it up there. Like, throw up the next one. Oh, you want to take a trip to the Great Wall of China. Yao Ming's just walking around everywhere. Like, you think you're going to explore ancient ruins, but you walk into a mall. Throw up the next one. Oh, you wanted a (laughs) Pop-Tart. Throw up the next one. Raisin brand, two scoops. That is not two scoops, sir. <laughs> Throw up the next one. Yeah, you want to get your kids a little chocolate Santa Claus. Yeah, you'll scare the living daylights out of them. Is, I don't know if there's a next one or not. Is there a next one? Oh, yeah. Nissy Klingon bakes you a cake. This is what you ask for. Like, that's... That's what you get. That's the enemy's strategy. He oversells you. He oversells you. Listen, I watched the Heelsock documentary yesterday. Like My heart was grieved. The enemy sells things like it's going to be great. It's going to relieve you of your stress and your burns. It's going to take care of this problem and that problem. But what he doesn't tell you is on the back end, it destroys everything you've ever built. It always over His campaign is still the same. Hey, it's good, it's good, it's good. But the question is, is it God? Well, you know, they, they said same-sex marriage. It's good. Yeah, but the question is, is it God? Well, they said, you know, this is, well, the question is, is it God? Well, how do you know the difference? How do you know the difference between good and God? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on it, but I, I'll tell you this. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. The word Eden means paradise means a place of peace. Adam and Eve started in peace. They started in the perfect will of God. They started in amazing peace. No conflict, no stress, no anxiety, no fear, no doubt, no worry, no sickness, no disease, no poverty, no crime, no hatred, no racism, nothing. They were in perfect peace. And so the enemy's strategy was to get them to sell peace for something they thought was going to be more pleasurable. He's trying to get them to move out of peace into something different. And I will tell you, pleasure is not better than peace. You know how I know? I've seen enough celebrities obtain all the riches in the world, have all the pleasures of the world, and they're desperate for peace. Satan will tell you power is better than peace. You know why I know that's not true? I've seen people rise to power, and all they want is peace. Satan will tell you riches is better than peace. You know how many people who have tons of money are committing suicide because they don't have peace? The enemy tell you independence is better than peace. I'll tell you there's no such thing. His strategy was to convince them things outside of the Garden of Eden were better than the peace in the Garden of Eden. And so I'm going to share with you just real quick. This is an acronym or acrostic that my mentor, Dr. R.T. Kendall, gave me to help you understand, am I walking in God's will, or is this God or is this good, to give you discernment to make the right choices as you begin journeying through a new season in life. And the stick is peace. Everybody say peace. 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 It's providential, it's the enemy, it's authority, it's confidence, and it's ease. Right? All five have to be met in order for it to be God's will. So P, P is providence. Providential. What does that mean? It means that God opens the door for you. You don't have to knock the door down. People say, oh, Pastor, you know, this, this, this girl, I think she's the one. God brought her right to me. Like, you know, I'm like, well, how, how did you meet her? Well, you know, you know, I was having a rough day, and I just decided to go by the bar late at night. She just happened to be at the bar at 11.30, Well, first of all, she's at the bar at 11.30. You better run, brother. No. Does God open the door, or do you have to break the door down? God will move before you to prepare the way for you. You know, there may be preparation on your place and there may be some timing on your place. But does God open the door? If you have to manipulate, con, and politicize your way into something, it's never God. God's providence. Two is the enemy. I love this one. What would the enemy do? In this situation, what would the enemy do? So the garden of Eden tree of good knowledge of good and evil would God trust what God said? Would the enemy do what God wanted to do or would the enemy want to take part of this fruit? So once you get there, sometimes it's easier to know what the enemy would do, easier than it would be to know what God would do. So the question is, what would the enemy do in this situation? Whatever the enemy would do, do the exact opposite. A, authority. A, authority. What does godly authority say? What does God's word say about this situation or scenario? What, is, what do my spiritual authorities say? What do my parents say about this? And what happens is you move out of your house from college, you forget about your godly authority because you think you've got independence and you lose sight the godly authority. They're to protect your freedom, not take your freedom away. C is confidence. The more you're in God's will, the more confident you should be. The more you're walking by his spirit, the more confident you should be walking. The more you're led by a spirit, the more confident you should be in where you're going. And then E, ease. Is your heart at ease? God will never, ever, ever go against your conscience. Is your heart at peace? Is it at ease? All five have to be met. And when they're met, you can have confidence you're walking in God's will. And and, and I'll tell you, notice none of these, P-E-A-C-E, none of these have to do with how much money is being offered. None have to say with how easy it will be. I've never made a major decision, and I use money as a variable in the decision-making. Because I know if it's God's will, provision will come with it. Never do I say, was well, it going to be easy? God's will is never easy, but you'll be at ease while you're going through it. And so if you could know this, the P, God's providence, has he made the way, has he opened the door? E, what would the enemy do? The opposite. A, what's my authority? Say C, am I confident? It's e Am I at ease. It'll help you discern between which tree you're going to eat of because you can eat off the tree of knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life, which has freedom and joy and hope and love and peace and long-suffering and provision and promises and covenant and hope. All the things you desperately want are right there for the taking of the tree of life. I just want you to bite your heads and close your eyes, just for a second. You know, I don't know what decisions are in this room, but I've got two questions. One, maybe right now, there's people that are in your life for a reason, for a season, or for a lifetime. Maybe there's people that the enemy has brought in to commit treason. To get you to turn away from God or or to doubt God or question God. Right now, just as I'm praying, just want you begin asking God. God, help me identify the people in my my life. One, the people that are there for a lifetime so I can appreciate them and thank God for them. Well, the people in my life for a season, I can appreciate the season. Maybe there's people that you need to let go from a previous season. God, help me identify the people in my life. The second question will be this, just for you, between you and God. Maybe you're facing a decision. Maybe you've been going through temptation. Maybe it's been a season of temptation for you. Maybe you're trying to make decisions about family or work or career or business. It's been hard to determine what God's will is. I want you to just apply this peace principle. Are you trying to make the door open on its own or is God in his providence opening the door for you? E, what would the enemy do? Would he give up and quit? Would he connive? Would he make an extra phone call trying to manipulate his way into that new job or new position? Would he quit on his marriage to go pursue a new marriage and a new hope and a new person? A, what does your authority say? What's the Bible say? What's godly authority say? What's pastors say? What's your parents say? See, are you confident? If you're not confident, then maybe the Holy Spirit's not leading you. Are you confident in this new direction, this place you're going? E, are you at ease? Is your heart at peace? Or is your heart full of anxiety? And if all five are met, I would tell you, move forward. Take the step of faith to walk where God is leading you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for the people online. And I just thank you right now for all these graduates, the, seeing the hard work of parents and grandparents pay off to see their kids accomplish something in life. I think for the next season of their lives, season of preparation for the high school graduates, for their careers and families. Father, the next season of, of building foundations and, and stability for those who have graduated college. But Father, everybody in this room, I just pray right now for your peace over every decision, every temptation they face. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Say, maybe you're in the room today and you don't have peace. Maybe you're not walking with God like Adam was. Maybe you've been in treason where you've turned away from God and questioned everything. And you've been eating this bittersweet fruit of sin for way too long. He said, today I just need a new fresh start. I, I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to trust Jesus and ask him to wash me in his blood. To give me a new beginning and a fresh start. I'm not going to have you come forward and stand up. He said, that's me. Just slip your hand up real quick. I just want to pray for you just for a second. Thank you. Anybody else? Wait just a second. I'm going to pray. If you raise your hand, if you do me a favor, just swing by connection point. And say, hey, I pray that prayer with Pastor have a gift to place in your hand to help you walk on that journey. But Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your spirit. We thank you for Jesus and his blood that washes us and cleanses us as white as snow. We thank you that he finished the work for us. Father, we place our trust in him and him alone. And Father, we give you our lives, our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our souls, our bodies as your vessels to use them for your glory while we're here on earth in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said a